I actually uh, preached in my home church where I became a Christian uh, two, year, two years ago. It was an Anglican church in England. And uh, what happens in Anglican churches from the England, they fill from the back, right? <laughs> you know? And there was no one sitting in the front, so I, I moved the altar. So, so I, could be, I don't think I'll be invited there again. But, uh, but I want to say really, before I start, I am just so honoured uh, to be here with you today. Thank you so much to Hiwan and the, the leadership team for inviting me. I bring greetings from the Vine Church. Uh, as I said, we've just about to move. Uh, we've just moved to one Chai. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in the, in, the, in the journey. But you know, one of the things is there's only one church in Hong Kong, right? And that's the Church of Jesus Christ. And though some of you I've never met before, um, you know, we're brother and sisters, we're family. And uh, it's really good to celebrate that oneness. And uh, so I can't think of anywhere that I'd rather be uh, on a day like this, uh, you know, on the, than, than to be with you. It's a bit of a homecoming for me because, as I said, I found, I found Christ about 30 years ago uh, in an Anglican church in the UK. And uh, I first visited Shatin, I, I think very shortly after you started, about 20 years ago. Uh, I, I, I came, I was a very good friend of, of Steve at the time, and uh, uh, I, I spoke at the church, I think about seven years ago, it couldn't have been very good because I wasn't invited back, uh, but uh, uh, it's taken a long time, but uh, what I want to do actually first and foremost is praise the leaders for the courage to organize this retreat. Um, you've got about two thirds of your church here today, I think, right? Two thirds of your Sunday attendance is, is here today. I think that's amazing, I can't think... Uh, um, uh, of many churches that would do that. I think to, to organize a retreat, to organize a retreat on a public holiday uh, in, in Hong Kong is, is amazing because in Hong Kong, people are so busy. You know, I think it's one of the banes of our life as church leaders is our, our people are so busy. And we have to watch, watch out as churches that we don't make them even busier. And, uh, you know, that's very, very important. I just sensed as uh, we, we met and we, we, we talked about this that uh, God really wanted me to come and encourage you over these uh, next three sessions. And what I felt to do was that uh, to, to look at the Israelites and they're crossing over the Jordan into the Promised Land. We're going to use that as our, as our theme uh, through the next couple of days. And Because um, I sensed that really this is a, a new start for you as a church. You have a you have a new pastor, you have a young pastor. I, 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 I hate him. <laughs> young, good-looking pastor. And this is, and I, I, I sense you have a choice now as a church. I, I, I'm going to be quite forthright with you. Look, do we, do we just carry on doing what we've always done? Or are we going to embrace this new season? Are we going to embrace what God has got for us as a church? You know, is the new pastor, you know, this, this sign that we're going to actually move into this new season, we're going, to, we're going to follow him and we're going to work into this new season. And are we going to basically achieve everything that God has for us, the destiny, the purpose for us as a church? And sometimes to make that second choice is a difficult choice. It's far easier to, to say, well, look, actually, because there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this church. You walk in here, the worship's great, the people are great. There's nothing wrong with it. This is a great church. But are we going to be an even greater church? And so I'm going to pray that 
what I share with you, um, please don't ever take it the wrong way. Know my heart uh, is an encouragement to you over these next two days. What I want to talk today, I was really pleased to have the, uh, the, the Tim Hughes song just before we started. Uh, I want to talk about uh, having courage. And I want to talk about having courage when everyone around us tells us to be sensible. You know, there's lots of voices that tell us, please be sensible. And uh, it's been particularly relevant to, to us. at the. I want to share just a little bit of our story uh, in terms of my own background and the background of the church. I mean, I don't want to share this in any way to, you know, blow our trumpet. I, 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 I really want this to be an encouragement. Please understand me. This is... This is what I want from this. Because, as I said to you, I'm not equipped to be a pastor. You know, this is, uh, this was not my trade. And um, I joined this church in uh, 1995. I, I actually, we, I served at Emmanuel Church in Pot Fulham. Uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a true blue Anglican. So uh, I, I tr- served at Emmanuel Church in, in Pot Fulham. And I, I joined this church in 1995 when it was called Repulse Bay Baptist. Anyone remember Repulse Bay Baptist Church? Yeah, a few of the older people, right? Yeah. I mean older that you've been around in Hong Kong for a while, right? The, I joined Repulse Bay Baptist 995 because uh, my friend was the pastor at the time. And, um, you know, I, we'd be going through quite a difficult period and it was an encouragement. And little did I know that in 1996 he actually resigned. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I joined the church, but... Uh, um, so we were left with uh, about 40 people in the church, uh, no money, and no pastor. And um, so, um, and we were left with this church that was called Repulse Bay Baptist Church that wasn't in Repulse Bay, and uh, it wasn't a Baptist church. <laughs> it turns out it never had been a Baptist church, it was just called a Baptist church. Um, and... Uh, there's a period of 1996 to 2003 where we had no pastor at all. Um, in those days, we'd invested very heavily in youth work. We had actually a youth pastor. We had two youth pastors at one stage, but, but no full-time pastor. The church was elder-led. And at that stage, in 1996, we said, well, look, do we even continue? Wouldn't it be great if the, the 40 of us, you know, some went to St. Andrews, some went to ICA, you know, some went to the Union Church, and we blessed the other churches. And we felt God say to us, build the family of God. That's why I'm so excited when I see this family today. And uh, this was really weird because, you know, we, we had four kids in our Sunday school. <laughs> And God said, build the family of God. And the trouble was, when a new family came to Hong Kong, they saw there were four kids in the Sunday school and you didn't see them again. You know, it's always a problem, a catch-22 situation. And uh, so the first thing we had to do was, was, was to change the name. And uh, um, we got the name, the vine, through some, uh, some series we preached in John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Vine is a very rich symbol. You know, the vine says that you're Christ-centered, you're relationship-based, you're fruitful, you're being poured out. Um, and we became the vine, I think, in 1997. And uh, so the church continued. But about 2001, um, the elders of the church said, there must be more than this. That was before Tim Hugh wrote the song, right, Consuming Fire. There must be more than this. So we locked ourselves away in the YMCA in Chim Sa Choi. And uh, we had a facilitator. And it was the days before PowerPoint. We had 
uh, white um, flip chart pages all around the place. And we looked at this and, God, this, this is too big for us. This is too big for us. Um, it was a vision. It, it talked about a church that was 24-7. It talked about um, a building, a vine center, which you know we see now. And talked about different ministries. And it was so big that what we did was for... For a, a year, the elders met as a, a cell group, and we prayed about it, and we shared this with the church in the summer of 2002. We did some teaching on the uh, Nehemiah and the, and the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem, and we announced that we were going to be looking for a, a senior pastor. And um, and so we put advertisements out, as you do, and I know you guys have been through this process, and uh, I'm interviewing people for this job and thinking... My heart's going ten to the dozen. I'm thinking, well, look, you know, God has given you a vision. How can you expect someone to come and just say, well, look, what's your vision? I'm going to run with it. And I had a very good friend at the time in Hillsong Church in uh, Sydney called Ned Davis, his name was. And he used to come to Hong Kong quite often to minister. And I was really keen on getting him to come and, uh, and to be our pastor. And I remember one day on a beach near Repulse Bay, I sat down with him and I said, Ned, where do you come into Hong Kong? And he turned to me and said, the vine doesn't need me, but the vine needs you. And uh, there was a conviction there. I went to the elders and said, uh, you know, I, I feel this is what God's saying. They weren't very excited. They said, what seminary have you been to? Uh, how many churches have you passed there? You know, the normal questions. And I also found that one of our other elders, Tony Reed, uh, actually had the same calling. And uh, for the last eight years, we've actually been partnering together in, in this church. I mean, to cut a long story short, the church took a vote. We were appointed pastors. I quit my job the next day. I was general manager of a company called AXA at the time, an insurance company. And uh, I gave them six months notice. And um, at the end of 2003, uh, I went full-time uh, to work for the church. Uh, by that time, the church had moved. Uh, when I first joined the church, we were in a school hall, similar, similar to the one that you're in, in a way, in, in South Island School. Uh, in, uh, we'd moved to a hotel in Causeway Bay, the Regal Hotel. Um, but church was about, you know, let's do church on Sunday, and there were some cell, a few cell groups going on during the week. And we suddenly really had this thing: we want to do church seven days a week. And uh, that was the start of a move to Central, uh, to uh, the Vine Center One, which many of you have visited, um, where we started doing church. Every day of the week, we started a refugee ministry, which I won't have time to talk about today. I can maybe talk about it over coffee if, if you want to. And the church really started to grow. We went to multiple services. And uh, it became a little bit embarrassing because all of the services actually became not only full, but over full. Um, people really started coming to church. So about three years ago, we said, well, we've got to move out of here. Uh, and we had this vision to move out of the district into a neighborhood out of an office block into something where we could actually reach the community. And we looked at this uh, Imperial Cinema in Wan Chai. Um, it was derelict at the time. And um, we said, can we rent it? And they said, no, they've already rented it to a sauna. Uh, oh dear. So, um, anyway, the, uh, the parents of St. Joseph's School objected to the sauna because they didn't want it. their kids going past it each day. And the company gave us a 15-year lease, which is unheard of in Hong Kong, and a really cheap rent. Um, now, the problem is we started working out the sums of how much it would cost us to 
renovate this and we came up with 50 million Hong Kong dollars which has actually turned out to be 65 million which always happens in Hong Kong and uh, we were a church where at that stage about 30% of our people were refugees uh, we're, we're a church where we attract uh, young people um, and uh, it really was an impossible task and uh, uh, I wish I could say it was all finished. We're, we're in there. We still have a, we still have some loans, some interest-free loans, and uh, a bank loan outstanding on it. But praise God, we're worshiping in that area, and uh, that's that's where we are now. As I say, I haven't shared this, and it's a, it's a very quick part of the story, uh, not to blow our own trumpet, because as I say, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but to really to encourage you, and I want you to understand me, and. What I don't need anyone to do is to remind me of the giants that we face. You know, as I sit here, I mean, we're not, we're not like in knee deep or, or ankle deep. We're in over our head. I mean, really, it's uh, in human wisdom, this doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but uh, I don't need people who come to me and talk to me about the giants that we face. I don't need people who come and talk to me about the reasons why we cannot do it. I don't need people who come to me and say to me, what is your exit strategy? Because we haven't got one. And I'm not here today to remind you about the giants that you face as shut-in church. Because we all have giants. But instead of that, I'm going to encourage you. I want to encourage your leaders. I want to encourage your pastor. I want to encourage you, all of you, to be courageous as you face the future together. I want to encourage you, shut in church, to become bold, courageous people. I want to start with a, an observation we tend to become less courageous as we get older. I mean, what were your favorite stories from Sunday school? Daniel in the lion den. David and Goliath. Jonah, Moses. Noah. The parting of the Red Sea. Don't forget Jesus as well. I used to love David and Goliath. The story of the scrawny little guy with rocks in his pocket slaying a big giant. These are the stories of courage that many of us grew up with. And they produced a faith in us that believed that God could do anything through us. When I first became a Christian, I was dangerous. As I told you, my field was insurance. I was in insurance sales at the time. And um, we would go on sales conventions. And uh, I'd be there. I'd be trying to convert the whole company. No one was safe. I'd hold church services in my room on a Sunday morning on a sales convention. I kid you not. I was dangerous. But through the years, people calm us down. And we start to lose that courage. But I want to tell you this morning, that's not how I want to live. It's rare for someone to put their arm around you to remind you of how powerful you are. How powerful your God 
who dwells within you is and what you can do through him. Instead, we become more cowardly. But we put a name on it. We call it being responsible. Please be responsible. I'm just being a good steward of my life. Because God wouldn't want me to throw it all away. Would he? Possibly. Is that how we want to live? It doesn't make any sense. We are children. Each one of us are children of the most powerful being in existence. And I tell you something, it looks weird when we're scared. We did a series at the Vine uh, on the, uh, the Hebrew names for God. Uh, you know, Jehovah Jireh and all those sort of things. And, and um, you know, followers of Jehovah are marked by this power and confidence that my God will come through. I've got another name. It should be, there should be Jehovah Nike in there. Just do it. <laughs> but if we are following this person who is Je- Jehovah Jireh, who provides Jehovah Rafi, who heals, Jehovah Rohi, God my shepherd, Jehovah Nissi, God my back. If we are following him, how can we be scared? And I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you did something that was insane in the eyes of everyone else? But you had the confidence in knowing that God was calling you to do it. We have a wonderful example here in our midst with the home and loving faithfulness. And Wendy and Val. Insane in the eyes of the world. Insane when they've said, look, we're not going to take money from this organization or this organization because we want to give glory to God. Insane, the world says. But they had confidence that this was what God was calling them to do. And take the vine in one chair. It makes little sense from a human point of view. We knew that as a church we couldn't raise $60 million. But how can a small international church in Hong Kong possibly tackle something like this? People have said to us, you are mad. You are insane. You are cheating. But I tell you what, they said that to us seven years ago when we found our place in Central. And we were about 120 people in a hotel ballroom. And we suddenly announced that we're going to do church seven days a week. They said we were crazy when we started to feed, house and love on refugees and asylum seekers. And to start to spend three million dollars a year on them. Crazy? Yes. But not if we know we are responding to God's will. Like five stones in a sling against a nine foot Philistine. Like spending a night in a lion's den. 
like calling down fire on drenched firewood in front of 4,000 prophets. Like crossing the Red Sea. Reminds me of two university students. One was very keen and the other one was a very cynical, skeptical. And uh, one guy was reading his Bible one day and uh, he suddenly came out, Hallelujah. You know, I just read this passage about Moses taking the whole of the Israelites across the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. And they all went through on dry land. Amazing miracle. His friend was a cynic. He said, you know, don't, don't get too carried away. He said, uh, I read on the internet, you know, that the Red Sea is very tidal, you know. And, it, and it's quite possible there was a theory that, you know, maybe at that time, you know, the Red Sea was only about six inches of water, you know. And so, so it wasn't quite the miracle. So he was a bit crestfallen. Went back to his Bible. Two minutes later, Hallelujah! So his friend said, What is it now? I've just read, he said, that the whole Egyptian army was drowned in six inches of water. (laughs) God requires us to be courageous. And we're going to look this morning at the story of Caleb and Joshua. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, Numbers 13. We, we've, we've got it on the screen. Notice that I call it Caleb and Joshua. Because everyone says Joshua and Caleb, right? So I'm, I'm actually this morning going to concentrate quite a lot on Caleb. Because Joshua gets a lot of airtime, right? We don't read very much about Caleb. Start to read at verse 25. At the end of 40 days they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Gev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and lots of otherites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people there of a great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Now you know the history. The Israelites were captive in, in Egypt. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. 
Pharaoh said, no way, Jose. And then suddenly plague after plague after plague came on. And finally, when we had the plague of the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh said, get out of here, uh, only to change his mind and to, to chase the Israelites to the Red Sea. They went through the mighty Red Sea and uh, were in the desert. And here we see them in the desert. They are ready to take the promised land. And they sent spies out. They sent 12. 12 is a, a very important number in the Bible. Go through, go through and do a, a search, a, word, a Bible study based on, on 12. 12 is very, very important. But when the 12 came back after surveying the land, two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this thing. Let's go. You know, the God that we follow was the God who parted the Red Sea. If God parted the Red Sea, he could surely do this. But the other ten said, man, did you see how big those people were? Amazons, hulks. We're like grasshoppers to those guys. We can't do it. They're too big. Only Caleb and Joshua had no fear. Never mind the giants. Why worry about them? God wants us to have this land. Just store that line shut in church. As you start to pray about your future, as God starts to give you a vision, as God starts to speak to your leader and your leadership, God wants us to have this land. The only reason that tomorrow our church will be meeting in Wanshire is that the leaders have said, God wants us to have this land. They said, look, the grapes, they were as big as footballs. We are well able to take this land. God will be with us. We will do it. The words of the ten spies basically encourage the people to be responsible. Safe. Think of our kids' future, Pastor. And what we see, that all the people follow their advice and ignore Caleb and Joshua. They were saying, calm down. Did anyone ever say that to you? Calm down. Be thankful we're still alive. They only saw the giants in the land. And in seeing the giants in the land, they missed the giant opportunity. As I said earlier, you will have your giants. But when you sit down, when you pray, when you discuss, consider the giants, oh yes. But consider the legacy that you are going to leave for future generations. You are not here to do church. 
God has called you to this part of the world to leave a legacy for the future. To transform lives. Consider the fruits that God is going to produce through this church. Two believed they could do it. Ten did not. Unfortunately, it was majority rule. They wouldn't buy it. It's like so many people today. We see evidence of what God is leading us to do. But we don't do it. We wait until the coast is clear. We're wanting to have a shot at the grapes without having to face any giants. I need to tell you this morning, there is never a provision without a problem. The two come hand in hand. If you're going to reach your promised land, you're going to need to see the giant grapes. Rather than the giants that you think are going to stop you getting the grapes. You're going to have to face giants. Like David, you're going to have to get close enough so that you can see the whites of their eyes. And you're going to have to do that for yourself. You cannot send someone else to do it for you. If you are looking for a giant-free, conflict-free, problem-avoiding life, forget the big grapes. It's prunes for you. And you know what they make you do, don't you? Now, one of the things that always bugged me about this story, how the spies compare themselves to grasshoppers. Why grasshoppers? They perceive themselves as being little and puny as grasshoppers compared to the massive Canaanites. They thought they would be stamped upon and crushed. But I always wondered why they didn't say they were like a dog or a pussycat or something, you know. At least something a little bit bigger than a grasshopper. You know, the fount of all knowledge today is Wikipedia. So I went to Wikipedia and looked up grasshoppers. Grasshoppers, the largest grasshopper weighs about a quarter of a gram. They can't run or fight. They have wings, but they can't fly. They get so high that they fall down. The Bible says, and we just sang it, that we're to have wings, but we're to soar like eagles. But you know what? Instead, I see Christians hopping around like grasshoppers. They hop from church to church, job to job, marriage to marriage, and from one ministry to another. It seems that we cannot stay put long enough to really face the giants and conquer our mountains. We see it in churches, you know. When people in our churches, they come across the giant. Oh, okay, we'll go to another church. But then they'll, see, they'll find the same giants there. Stay put long enough. Face your giants. And conquer our mountain. 
But these grasshopper testimonies, I call them, led to everyone, thousands of people, being discouraged. And do you know the tragedy of this? Ten negative people killed the hopes and dreams of a whole nation. That happens in churches as well. Now, God was not pleased. Because God has never been pleased and is never pleased with cowardice. He is not pleased with people who don't believe he can come through. And then he can do anything. Let's read his his verdict in, in the next chapter, Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your body is willful. Every one of you, 21 years or more, was counted in the census and has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fail in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies here in the desert. For 40 years, one for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert and here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it, these men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh survived. Ouch. Aren't we glad we live in New Testament times? God says, this is what's going to happen. Forty years you're going to be wandering. This journey should have taken about 11 to 12 days. Forty years. One for every day that the spies were out. Adults. You ain't going to make it. These guys prophesied that you were going to die. You're going to die. The ten spies, you're going to catch a plague and die. No adults, just Joshua, Caleb, and the kids. And the question, and it's what I want you to ask when you get into your small groups this morning, is this. Are you like Joshua or Caleb? Who do you resemble most? Joshua and Caleb? Or do you resemble everyone else who is looking at the problems in life? Are you looking at God's calling on your life? Or are you listening to those voices telling you that you cannot do anything great? 
I need to tell you, I've heard those voices all my life. Voices that tell me, I can't change the world. Voices that say there will always be poor people. That Hong Kong can't be saved. How can you lead a church? You're just an insurance man. And it isn't long before, humanly, I get scared. Before negativity gets into my head. We have our dreams from the Lord, the things He's called us to do, but people mellow us out. And say, you can't do that. The people who say to me, John, calm down. You don't need to go to those extremes. It's like a Christian form of Prozac. And then we start to think, what can I do? We're trying to fight for the sort of faith that I had when I first became a Christian. And to be truthful to you, it leads to insecurity. I'm sure Pastor would understand that as well. We have to learn to say no to those things. God's words to Joshua was be bold, be strong, of good courage. Do not be discouraged. I am with you. When I hear those words, I want to burst into a song. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Scripture is always about being courageous. About being insane. Believing when no one else believes. Praying that our boldness will get even greater. You want to know what to pray for your leaders? Pray for more boldness. When Peter and James were in prison, they met to pray. They didn't pray, Lord, get them out of prison. They prayed that they would receive more boldness. But you know, it doesn't end there. We stand here this morning, we know the end of the story. Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. There were battles. Great victories, defeats. I wish we had time this weekend to almost go through the whole book of Joshua. You know, the great defeats, the great battles, the great victories. The great fall of the walls of Jericho. But you know, my favorite part of the whole story comes much later. You may have even missed it. It's in Joshua 14. I'm winding the clock forward now, 45 years. Everyone else is dead, except Joshua and Caleb, just like God said. Let's read this in, in Joshua 14, 7 to 12. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to uh, explore the land. And I brought him back a, a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, 
Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked with you will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he had said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Age is a very relative thing, isn't it? Because Caleb was 40 when he went out on his reconnaissance trip. I think 40 is very young. And (laughs) I used to think that 40 was very old. I think you probably do as well. But when he went on the reconnaissance trip, he spotted a particular mountain. He wanted that mountain for his own. He said, that yonder hill over there has got my name stamped all on it. You know, when mountaineers climb a a mountain like Everest, they, they put a flag there and say, you know, I was the first one there. Caleb was putting his flag down, but what he thought at the time was that the Israelites, when the Israelites conquer that land, I'm going to go back and I'm going to claim my hill. It was Caleb's hill. Now we don't read very much about Caleb, I said that earlier. But I believe that this hill gave him a definite purpose in life. A purpose big enough, exciting enough to keep him going for a long time. And he got his mountain okay. But not next week. Not next month. Next year. 45 years later at the age of 85. We read that God had preserved his strength as that of a young man. I want that Caleb anointing. He says, give me. Give me the mountain that God promised me 45 years ago. There have been a lot of delays. The people of Israel had outvoted and overruled Caleb and Joshua. They weren't going to risk their lives against these giants. In the end, Caleb gets his mountain. His dream became a reality. He overcame the fear of man, the fear of obstacles, and the fear of failure. His faith was as strong at 85 as it was at 40. I don't know about you, but like Caleb, don't you want to be the 85-year-old who believes even more than you did when you were 40? I believe I'm supposed to live by faith. And I believe the older I get, I'm supposed to take bigger steps of faith. But I look at myself today against myself when I was a new Christian. I've tried to project myself at 85. Could you imagine me at 85? I can't. And I ask myself, what is my track? What is my trend line? What is my graph? What is my moving average? 
Are you going to listen to voices that will mellow you out? I don't see this in the Bible. But you know the 10v2 that we saw the spies has become very much 21st century logic. So many of us are swamped in 21st century thinking. Financial tsunamis, pandemics, terrorism, political scandals have turned us from high risk, high return investors to no risk, no return. Just a couple of years ago, I think it was HSBC were paying 0.0001% interest. They said if you left 100,000 in there for 25 years, you could buy a cup of Starbucks at the end. I believe that's a really good picture for us. Because some of us like that spiritually. We're playing safe. 0.0001% interest. I suspect that God hasn't called you to be a playing safe church. I want you to believe again that God's a great God. We sang it again. Those songs are great. This one. God is great. And His praise fills the earth, fills the heaven. We're living in the glory of His name. Some of you here have heard specifically from the Lord. You know of things that you were created for. But because no one else does it that way, you've backed off. And can I just encourage you this weekend? If God placed a dream in your heart six months, a year, 20, 30 years ago, and you've let people talk it out to you, mention it to someone and get them to pray for you this weekend. This is a great opportunity to do that. Because I believe that God has been planting dreams, seeds in all of your life. And you've backed off. Why? Because no one else does it that way. Pray for your leaders. There will be enough people who will tell them that we can't. I know. Caleb and Joshua must have looked like fools for believing. But I'm telling you right now that whatever steps of faith that God is calling you to take, I promise you, in years from now, you won't regret it. You have a choice to make, and it starts this weekend. You can stay as you are. As I said at the beginning, there is nothing wrong with your church. You can stay as you are. Or you can choose to make a sacrifice. For the sake of the next generation. For the sake of this city and this nation. For the sake of people, you know, so many people come to Hong Kong and take, 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 and then buzz off. Let's reverse it around. Let's be people who put in, put in, put in. For the sake of the thousands of lives that I believe that God wants you to touch. We can make a choice today to live. Live dangerously perhaps. 
But I tell you something, living dangerously is better than dying slowly. Amen? Are you really living? Or are you just staying alive? Counting off the days till someone carries you out in a box. We are to have faith in the power of God. You say that God wants me to do this. But to be honest, Pastor John, I've lacked the courage. It would be good if something really powerful happened to you today. If someone just put their arm around you. Reminded them how powerful you are because the God who lives within you is powerful. If someone even over coffee or lunchtime just comes alongside you and just speaks words of life into you. Maybe where that dream, where that vision has died. They put their arms around you and says, the God who lives in you is greater than the God who is in the world. Go ahead and do this. Take your land. And I want to conclude this morning's session with something that God has laid on my heart. If we could just put the next slide up. That's a crowd. (laughs) I want to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And I want to talk about the difference between the 5,000 and the loaves and fishes. We see the crowd, we see the 5,000. The disciples saw the 5,000 and said, how can we feed them? It would cost us a year's wages. We see 7 million people in Hong Kong. We see 1,400 million people in the mainland. And we look at our hands. And all we see is five loaves and two fish. I believe God would say to you today, look at what is in your hand. When Moses didn't know how the Red Sea was to be parted, God said, look in your hand. There There was a staff, there was a stick. But we look at our five loaves, our two fish, How can we possibly feed the multitude? The ten spies would have looked at this and fed it. They would have filed it under too hard or filed under eye for impossible. Caleb and Joshua would have looked at this, looked at the opportunity for a small packed lunch plus a big, big God to not only feed every face in the crowd but have enough over to stack the freezer as I finish today maybe the worship band could just come up you have a choice you can sit in your seat and be sensible Susan or responsible Ronald or you can ask God 
to give you his courage to take your promised land and to feed the multitudes. How? By simply offering him your loaves and fishes. Can we all stand please? I just want to encourage you as we prepare, we're going to sing that song, Give Us Your Courage Again. Not to focus on the band or the words or or me at the front. Maybe just close your eyes. And if you're willing to, just maybe hold your hands out in front of you and say, look, Maybe, maybe even look at your hands. You can't look at your hands with your eyes closed, I know. But look at your hands and say, I don't have much. But what I have, I'll give you. That little boy only had a packed lunch. I always wondered why he didn't give like the disciples like three loaves and a fish and, uh, and eat the rest himself but he, he gave everything and can I just encourage you I'm going to pray for you right now just to hold out your hands and say all that I am all that I have is yours I surrender take my loaves take my fishes And use it to feed the multitudes. Father God, I want to speak destiny and purpose over each individual here, each family represented here in each church, this church. I want to pray, Lord, as you take these loaves and fishes, Lord, that you would use them for the people of Shatin, for the people of the surrounding areas, for the schools represented here, for the, for the workplaces represented here. I pray, Lord, that you would raise the people of this church up to be Caleb's and Joshua's. I pray, Lord, that you would show them the promised land that is before them and that you would give them the courage the boldness to walk into that destiny you have for them as a church in Jesus name